Hey everyone, welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave, uh, reaching the end of my college career here. Got about five more weeks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I hope you're hanging in there in the shelter in place. I'm really excited for this episode today. It's with Eileen Elrod, who is a professor of English and Women's Gender Studies and also is currently serving as the Associate Vice Provost for Faculty Development. So I sat down with Eileen and we chatted in mid-February about um, faculty development and writing and students finding their identities. And it was an awesome conversation. And it's been several months since then, and a lot has happened since then. So I reached out to Eileen, and she provided a voice memo talking about the challenges and opportunities of adapting learning and quickly training faculty and what it's like both on the side of, of students and professors and trying to bridge that gap make meaningful connections and just how faculty are adapting to online learning in this time. So we're going to start out with that clip, which is a super insightful view into what life is like inside uh, Santa Clara and inside the minds and classrooms, virtual classrooms of faculty right now. And then we'll get into the rest of the conversation where um, Dr. Elrod talks about her, her teaching experience, how she became passionate about English and religious studies and women and gender studies. We talk about her writing advice, what makes a great professor, and a bunch of other fascinating topics around the future of education that are very important right now, and really getting at the heart of Santa Clara and the student to professor relationships that characterize the university. So thanks for listening and enjoy the conversation, starting with this clip just recorded in early May 2020. We talked in mid-February about teaching and learning at Santa Clara University, and now it's mid-May. And teaching and learning at Santa Clara University is entirely different. So just as it is everywhere, it's a remarkably challenging uh, moment in higher education and a remarkably challenging and exciting moment in the work of faculty development, too, and supporting faculty who are facing these challenges of suddenly and without full preparation, moving everything online rather than, uh, I don't know, closing up shop and having students not graduate and hitting pause on the mentoring relationships that that are at the heart of, of teaching and learning in higher ed, certainly at the heart of teaching and learning at, at, at Santa Clara. So it's, it's quite a moment. In my own work as a faculty member, um, I've moved my course online, uh, and um, I never aspired to teach online. So the specific challenges that I face as an instructor, thinking hard about what I normally do in class that, that I um, I love to teach and, and I love um, my relationships with students are really important to me and they're at the heart of, of learning, I think. I think relationship is at the heart of most learning. Now that feels disrupted. It feels like there's this big, messy filter in the middle of that because of, of the online environment. So I'm navigating that and I'm figuring out um, how to do this in this in this new way. And I'm with my my colleagues in, in doing that. Uh, all over campus, we're figuring out how to do things that we didn't 
really want to do. Uh, so faculty are figuring out how to teach labs, how to teach dance, how, how to teach studio art, how to teach community-based courses. We're all figuring out how to do that online. <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's not pretty. And then in other ways, it's really pretty because it's marked by, it's work that is marked by imagination and resourcefulness and flexibility and, and patience and, you know, finally, love by real care and concern for the students of Santa Clara. The faculty development part of, of my work, uh, the, the pace has just stepped up remarkably and the collaborative work that that I uh, and my colleagues do with academic technology and the Office of Assessment. Again, just the, the pace of what we do with and for our fellow faculty um, has just intensified. I'm, I'm pretty sure that nobody in academic technology has really had a good night's sleep since sometime, I don't know, March 1, maybe a little bit before that. Maybe a lot before that. I think they saw stuff coming in, in and were less in denial than some of us. But at any rate, um, what marks all of the work we're doing is, is a, a real commitment to our students and trying to figure out how to do as well as we can, how to do the, the work that we love as well as we can uh, in, in the light of challenges. So in the faculty development part, the, the creating and, and curating opportunities for, for learning, for faculty learning, uh, the pace has never been like this. Uh, we, we can't really move fast enough. Uh, and each time we sort of start to get something figured out, uh, the challenges change, the, the feedback, the needs change for, for faculty and for, for students. So it's, it's very exciting and very challenging. Um, wanted to say one thing about a particular activity that we've been engaged in quite recently that's been really important, and that is the survey of students. So early on in the move to online, the director of the Office of Assessment, Chris Bakken, uh, thought we really have to get at student experience in this moment. So she very quickly began designing uh, a survey to put out to students. And she's now done this um, uh, twice, so early in the quarter and now a mid-quarter survey to help us understand what students are going through, what they need, um, what's working well, what is not working so well, what kinds of challenges are, are they really facing. The response to the survey has been uh, uh, remarkable. Uh, the last one, uh, I guess a week and a half ago or so, the response rate was over 30%. So students want to tell us how they're doing. And what they describe is real difficulty. So we're all going through some of the same things. I and mean, I think about my fellow faculty members who are teaching from home, trying to figure out how to do their research from home, um, 
and uh, dodging children who would normally be in childcare or at school, worrying about ill ill family members, taking care of family members who are not well, worrying about finances and, and job loss, and through it all, worrying about tech challenges. I'm just really tired of talking about Wi-Fi, but that's where we are. And for students uh, um, who, who've responded to the survey, they told us of their challenges and what it's like for them to be in an environment they didn't plan to be in. And on top of that, be learning in a mode they didn't want to learn in. Uh, and there too, in a lot of ways, it's, it's not pretty. They are um, describing feeling overwhelmed, feeling isolated, uh, needing more contact with each other, needing more contact with faculty. Um, so the good thing is that we learned a great deal from uh, the survey, from listening to students, and we intend to keep doing that. And as we push that information out to faculty, faculty are able to adjust what they're doing. And we've heard some really wonderful stories, again, imagination and resourcefulness and technology, um, as faculty try to meet the needs of the students as we understand them. And really, that's the mark of best teaching always, is understanding the needs of the students, teaching the people who are in the room. Uh, and in this case, the room has altered greatly and the students' needs have changed because that room has changed because of the sh the, that shift to online. But the best teaching is really always relational. And so now it's about trying to figure out the relationship in this new context with these new challenges. So it's a time of real stress. And we know stress does not help us learn. So the stress for students is not good. It, it is not uh, helping them make sense of their coursework. And so we have to keep figuring out what to do about that couple quick uh, examples. An uh, engineering professor has recently created a Zoom space uh, for her students to do uh, homework together. So as they talk about needing more contact, talk about feeling isolated and feeling like too much of their day is unstructured, she thought, well, okay, so I just leave this Zoom room open and I hang out here doing my work and you hang out here doing the work I just assigned you to do. Uh, people are organizing places for students to do midterm uh, prep in, in um, again, in collaborative Zoom spaces where they can just be together. Faculty whose courses were really pretty lecture-based in a couple of cases have um, moved to more project-based uh, courses so that students can team up and work in, in pairs and small groups. And faculty are doing check-ins with students. So instead of just, hey, come to my office hours, and knowing that students are going to do that because that's the culture uh, the faculty member has established in the classroom. Now some faculty are saying, I, I want to see you. So come to this Zoom room at 4 p.m. Pacific and we'll talk. So the check-ins, um, you know, office hours have converted in a lot of, a lot of cases into check-ins so that faculty can just say, how, how are you doing? And that might start with the course, but it also might be, 
how are you doing? Really, how are you doing? I think there isn't a way we can care for each other enough um, at this moment with these challenges. And I'll just close by saying the other thing that faculty development and my good friends in academic technology and the Office of Assessment are doing is thinking about the fall with with um, some fear and trepidation. Uh, We're thinking a lot about what kinds of uh, circumstances are we going to deal with? And like everybody else, we are not sure what that means yet. So we're, we're trying to create resources and create opportunities for the summer for faculty to be prepared for multiple eventualities uh, so that we can be um, ready again to serve the students in the room, whatever the room looks like uh, in the fall. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll just keep, uh, keep riding this wave and keep trying to, to figure it out as we move along and keeping at the heart of it, uh, of it all, uh, the commitment to students and the commitment to uh, effective teaching and, and deep learning at Santa Clara. Thanks, Eileen. Here's the rest of the conversation. To start out, how did you decide that you wanted to uh, pursue a career working in uh, in teaching English? And how did you decide that kind of that's the field you wanted to focus on? I um, have always loved school. So since I was a little kid, school was kind of the place to be. That was where all the fun stuff uh, happened. So I think I thought about teaching from really early on. The idea of being in higher ed uh, that would have been like thinking about Mars or something. It just would have been a really strange thing. So I was thinking about teaching, and I didn't like my major very much. It was a te- it was liberal studies, so teaching um, kids. And at some point, a professor of religious studies who actually became a mentor to me said, "Why are you majoring in?" I think I was complaining about a class or something, and and he said, "Why are you?" majoring in that anyway. And I said, oh, you know, and he said, why don't you go to graduate school? You should go to graduate school. Like, I didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And so he, he was a really big influence on me. And, um, and I think right, right about that time, I declared a double major in English and religious studies, which were the two things I loved. And that made sense going way back. I mean, I have always, loved books, loved stories, loved language. That was the, the place where, um, yeah, that was just always my happy place was literature and thinking about, um, big ideas. And, and, uh, so religion, religious studies and English were just this perfect pair for me. And then that's what my dissertation was on. That was what, that's what most of my, all of my scholarship has had something to do with American literature and religion. Mm-hmm. What have been some of your, your teaching highlights, I guess, at Santa Clara? Cause you've, you've been here a, a while yeah, and taught a good, good amount of courses. So I, I don't know, are there any, any like either ways that you've seen students change or aspects of your classes that you've really enjoyed? T- 
te- teaching is like the best job. Hmm. Um, and, and if you get to teach and do research in the stuff that you love, it's just, uh, it's, I, I do feel really fortunate. I feel really blessed. Well, a couple things come to mind. One is when I first came here and you're right, I've been here a really long time. About half of my load, a little more, actually more than half of my load was in first year writing. So um, now it's called CTW one and two. Initially, it was just English one and two. And um, I I love teaching writing Mm -hmm. and I loved um, still love being able to teach first year students. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting because so much is going on for them. So that certainly is one of my strongest memories. I I helped. you know, the lead program, Mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. So, um, a colleague and I, Jill Goodman and I taught the first sections of lead in English. So we helped initially design that program. And that was a very, very uh, memorable experience, a real gift. I love the lead program. I love the lead students and their sense of connection to their own education and their own future and their own identities was was inspiring when I first started doing that teaching and and uh, is a since you asked strong memory that's a really great mm-hmm. memory mm-hmm. and I think the other thing that I thought of right away is um, probably connected to that issues of of um, identity and students sense of direction and student sense of self and being mm-hmm. able to in a Jesuit sense, um, accompany them as they figure out some of the stuff. So, so much happens for, for students between 18 and 22. And it was certainly true for me. So being able to teach the humanities, mm-hmm. being able to be alongside students to accompany them, um, as they make that journey through thinking through who they are and what they want mm-hmm. is just an enormously significant. So literature provides a space where a lot of that happens. On the note of kind of accompanying students yeah. as they're figuring out, you know, their their life, their identity, like how does either literature or writing like contribute to that? Like how and how can a class or professor kind of help with that or how have you experienced that to work? Yeah, yeah. That's just such an easy question. That's just such a softball question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to study literature and not um, reflect on identity and, and values and morality. I think um, whether it's a poem or a novel, I think it's very, um, that's just a natural place where one has to go is to, mm-hmm. to think about what's my relationship to this material? What What's my relationship to these ideas? And then in addition, I've, I've taught a lot of and do have done research on um, autobiography. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, again, just so easy. I uh, sometimes I don't even have to ask the question because if you're reading autobiographical material and it's autobiographical material that deals with difficult subjects, then it's just so natural for students to want to find themselves mm-hmm. in those life stories they're reading. I mean, I think even m- in some ways m- more immediately even than in fiction or poetry because they're seeing this kind of life trajectory and they're seeing the the speaker makes sense of um, 
of his or her experiences over time. And that's so much what, what students in university are, yeah. are doing. And yeah, and it does, it does really, I really appreciate the Jesuit concept of accompanying because yeah. it does, I think the best teaching is really accompaniment where you're really, mm-hmm. you're not imparting knowledge. You're really next to students as they figure stuff out. And mm-hmm. it's a privileged place to be. You're, mm-hmm. you're with them. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's a ton of work and you have to think about design and learning. And then in other ways, you just have to not mess it up. Hmm. You know, if, the, if, if, if all those other pieces are in place, you just need to be with the student as hmm. that, um, you know, what in some ways is kind of natural hmm. work happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when thinking about first year students and, and writing, are there any kind oh, of common, yeah. common patterns that you see or even like ways that um, students can improve or kind of common like challenges that you see that you try to like help help students in a certain area of writing? I don't know. Or any like yeah. writing advice you often give, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I think uh, especially with um Well, no, I was going to say, especially with first year writing, but I think with everybody, I think one of the keys is to find your voice and that's connected to, to what we were just talking about too, to find your, your real voice, your authentic voice, your real self, which Mm -hmm. again is connected to actually being comfortable with, Mm -hmm. with your real self and, and understanding a little bit about who you are. So I think especially in, especially in first year writing, um, students can feel, um, and maybe, you know, we educators have mm-hmm. done this to them that they feel like they have to write in a certain way with mm-hmm. a, and I don't mean, you know, in a certain way, meaning grammatically or effectively, but uh, they have to write it with a certain voice mm-hmm. with this, you know, and, and, and I think, <laughs> the best writing comes from real voices, doing real work, writing for real reasons. So I think um, in as much as possible, uh, effective writing teachers work at that. Mm-hmm. They work at making real, creating real situations for real writers to write from their um, actual voices mm-hmm. about things that matter. Years and years ago, I used to do an exercise where um students could just play with writing about the same content for different purposes. And while that's kind of a rhetorical exercise that's, that's effective, I think the, the point of it for me was to move, to help move students or to ask them to think about moving to a place where they were really speaking um, from their real selves and not sort of thinking about what the teacher, I mean, think what we, what we, do educationally the bad stuff that education does you know think that you have to say what the teacher wants you to say you have to say it the way the teacher wants you to say it and that's all um yeah not so good Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then how did you transition more into faculty development well um so it was faculty development is um, the only uh, non-teaching position I ever thought was interesting or appealing. So I benefited from the people who were doing the faculty development work when I was when I first came here mm-hmm. and learned a lot from them. And and then 
you know, as I uh, became a more experienced teacher and, and kind of found my footing at Santa Clara, I admired that work. So, and, and again, honestly, it was very conscious. It was, as I looked around, I thought, wow, chair, dean, um, you know, I had chaired bunches of committees. It was all hard work. I had never been a chair or dean and didn't want to be. But I thought, faculty development, now there's a job to love. Mm. And and I do. And mm. so I still I'm still doing it now, mm. you know, for a decade. And and probably that's really very selfish of me. And I should get out and let somebody else do it because there's probably people like me thinking that's about the only job I'd want to do. So it's very much like teaching. You get mm. to work on teaching with teachers. You mm. get to um, support faculty, accompany faculty right, much right. the same way that that a good teacher accompanies students, mm-hmm. and and it's just so it's so exciting to mm-hmm. be um, an advocate for faculty needs, to think about the complexity of faculty work, which is very complicated. Mm-hmm. Much of it is about teaching, but there's a whole lot of other stuff to mm-hmm. it too. And to think about staying in touch with um, the the full scope of faculty life and thinking mm-hmm. about how um, Santa Clara can really support our faculty so that they can do the best work mm-hmm. um, that they can do. And we have a fantastic faculty, and that's part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what, what makes a, a great professor or like what, what kinds of topics do you continually kind of return to in your, your trainings and development work? What makes a great professor is the same thing that makes a great student. And that's just mm-hmm. a love of learning and, and, um, so passion about the material and, and a love of learning, which also means kind of a, an honesty, intellectual mm-hmm. honesty and a commitment to, um, discovery, whether that's discovery about, um, your disciplinary area or discovery about your students and the, mm-hmm. the adventure of teaching. And I, I think in both cases, um, you know, it's the same kind of core mm-hmm. of curiosity and, and, and honesty and, and passion about the, the area. And then you said, what, uh, what do we do most often? We run, we run a lot of, um, discussions around teaching Mm -hmm. this year, particularly we've been uh, quite focused on inclusive teaching Mm -hmm. and teaching for, for equity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. thinking about diverse um, populations at Santa Clara and how do we, how do we teach all the students in the room effectively? Mm -hmm. And that's been something of a theme since the climate study. Mm -hmm. And also the data that we looked at about um, from the National Survey of Student Engagement, NESI, Mm -hmm. we looked at what students were saying about their classroom experiences Mm -hmm. at Santa Clara. And um, and we were a little bit surprised Mm -hmm. uh, because I think we think of ourselves as a as a strong teaching school. And in lots of ways we are. Um, But we saw both from the climate study and from NESI that we had a lot to learn Mm -hmm. and faculty have been very interested in learning it. So so we do a lot on teaching. We've thought a lot about inclusive teaching of late. Um, And we we also have a a strong focus on reflection on one's own teaching. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot with 
Santa Clara faculty talking to other Santa Clara faculty mm-hmm. with the with the goal of everybody becoming more reflective about what it is we're doing and mm-hmm. reflection again great Jesuit concept mm-hmm. yeah 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 how, how do you balance like teaching to everyone in the room making people from different identities feel safe and like they can contribute with um, like having a environment where people's ideas can be challenged and uh, and the the truth quote unquote is pursued regardless of how it makes people feel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I think um, you create an environment that may not be safe in the sense that everybody feels just fine mm-hmm. um, but but the, uh, uh, an environment that is about respect and then to use a really scary word love uh, if if everyone understands that they're respected and taken seriously and cared about, Mm -hmm. then I think you can pursue really hard topics that make people very uncomfortable and where people are going to disagree. And, and it couldn't be a more important skill, Mm -hmm. right. To learn how to disagree with one another and to learn how to, um, do one's best work, uh, no matter what, even if it means um, moving through difficulty and mm-hmm. figuring out what what one thinks about a difficult topic. I don't yeah. know if that answers yeah, yeah, yeah. your question. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, like, have you seen any changes in either the like way students think or behave, or um, or the way the classroom environment works in the last like twenty or so years? Like, are students thinking about? caring about different things than 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, it's a really good question. My, my colleague and I had this conversation yesterday and, mm. and, um, we, we, we disagreed because from mm. her perspective, the way she was thinking about it, she said, you know, well, yeah, of course, higher ed is so different and students are so different. And, the way I was thinking about it was, no, they're not. (laughs) It's all the same. And I think we're both right. Higher ed is really different. And, and in some ways we're on the verge of, I think, major changes because of, uh, the challenges of tuition. And I mean, there's just a whole lot and, and technology, there are just a whole lot of changes coming. Student demographics are so different than they used to be. So she was right. Um, and I and I think students are in over the years, over the decades that I've been here, students engage politically in different ways at different moments, like, you know, more or less politically engaged, more or less engaged with the Jesuit mission or, or more or less engaged in different ways. Mm-hmm. Right. So so because I think there's a lot of ways to connect with our Jesuit um, uh, mission. Uh, and, and I think I was right, too. Uh, in, in saying that there there aren't big changes in the sense that learners are learners. Mm-hmm. And I think in the conversation I had yesterday, I was particularly, I, I'm impatient with discussions that talk about, oh, today's students. Right. So or for so example, more anxious. Or that's right. Whatever. That's right. Yeah. They're more anxious. They don't write enough. They're always mm-hmm. in their phones. They're mm-hmm. preoccupied with technology in ways that make them not very smart mm-hmm. and, and, 
um, they're they're not able to have face to face conversations because they're so. And I just don't think you know. That, sure, sure, cultures change for mm-hmm. sure, and we're all uh, products of our culture. Mm-hmm. But students are not any worse or actually any better. Mm-hmm. I think students are students, learners are learners, and the focus really. I think often we say that because we want to dispense with our responsibility mm. to actually pay attention to people mm. and and that's a problem mm. and i think the best teachers whether you know it was in the 19th century or mm-hmm. you know the puritans mm-hmm. in new england the best teachers are are the ones who pay attention to the learner mm. and you take the learner seriously and respect the learner and focus on the learning rather than on the teaching right like it's mm-hmm. not really about the teacher mm-hmm. it's really really about the student and and her learning and mm-hmm. i think that's just always been true and that's always going to be true and you can go back historically and find teachers complaining about how you know years the, the prior generation of students was better you can go back and just locate that there's been several um uh, pieces that have done that where oh these kids today and you know and it's the the year is mm-hmm. 1850 <laughs> they were so much better in yeah. 1820 they were that was when they were really smart and half the time we're just thinking about the moment we were in school so Mm -hmm. I think what we're really saying is (laughs) students aren't like I was Mm -hmm. I I was really a great student Mm -hmm. and students today don't don't quite student the the same way that they Mm -hmm. that they used to Mm -hmm. yeah yeah interesting And, and I wonder if at a certain point like if there are just less students pursuing higher education because of, you know, tuition or other alternate yeah. alternatives or anything, how that'll impact society. But, that's uh, right. And that's a huge question that a lot yeah. of folks in higher ed are asking. And then a whole lot of other folks in higher ed, I think, are really trying hard to avoid like mm. that's just too big of a topic for me to think about but yeah mm. it's gonna it's gonna change you know we're gonna think about i don't know i don't know what it's gonna look like digital mm. badges or or you know certification is gonna be important i don't mm. i don't know mm-hmm. but i think there's some pretty substantial changes coming our way mm-hmm. right and especially yeah. when thinking about the liberal arts side yep. right of like you know santa clara so values this yep. broad core curriculum and or, you know, and many people even might choose to study a, something mm-hmm. like English that doesn't mm-hmm. have a super defined career mm-hmm. track, right? And like valuing that versus, you know, you can get a 10-month certificate and That's then right. immediately be employed. And, That's uh, right. That's uh, right. It's And it's, it's uh, these are really big questions. Yeah, what does happen to the humanities? I don't, I don't, um, I, I think we, we value that because, um, that's that kind of an education leads to a to a fully developed human, right, mm-hmm. with a critical sensibility and the ability to pose problems and answer questions, and um, and then how that fits with the financial challenges. I mm-hmm. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the answer yeah, to that. For yeah, for sure. Well, on yeah. the topic of big questions, how do you think uh, literature relates to like the current divisiveness in the United States, or could even be a potential? partial solution perhaps yeah i think i think you must have an opinion on that the way yeah. that you asked the question oh, well, I, and i, I and i mentioned something before, oh did i, I yeah. well yeah i think literature is key i think mm-hmm. you know the idea of of being able to encounter 
varying points of view and take those seriously in a work of literature uh, is, first of all, easier than doing it face to face for a whole bunch of reasons, even just you know, being able to encounter many cultural perspectives, being able to encounter other historical perspectives, Mm -hmm. but certainly being able to encounter, uh, ideological Mm -hmm. and, and, um, political perspectives in literature, I think helps us stop othering each other. And right now we're, we've really gotten terribly good, uh, at othering each other and Mm -hmm. at, and at, um, viewing the world as this completely or our country as, um, you know, consisting of these polarized positions mm-hmm. that's, that's, um, ter- it's terribly, uh, damaging. I'm just, mm-hmm. so I think literature is, is key because it allows us to inhabit the, the other's perspective. It requires mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. to inhabit the other's perspective, even if we, you know, we, we may not like it. A piece of literature allows us to be in that person's shoes imaginatively and view that perspective, which with much more compassion and mm. understanding. And, and the story gets complicated, you know, rather than I can define you by this one political perspective. Suddenly I know a story that might have shaped someone to inhabit that political perspective. And suddenly it's not just an opinion about a hot button issue. It's a human being. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other deal. Mm -hmm. Really important. Yeah. 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 There's a couple questions I like to ask each person at the end of the conversation. So the first is what piece of advice would you give to a first year student coming into Santa Clara? Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is to, uh, explore. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, and I, because there's never, I mean, it's back to the, the privilege of, Mm -hmm. of university life. There's never going to be a moment like this. And I often, when I, um, in my classes, when I mention, oh, there's a play coming up or, oh, look, the, um, there's a choreographer's gallery mm-hmm. or there's the one act festival or whatever, I will say you're never going to be, it's never going to be this easy for you. Mm-hmm. And I think students don't believe me because you feel oppressed and like there's no time and I'm studying so mm-hmm. hard and I'm, and I have this job, but it's, it, it really is in most cases true. It's never going to be just across the lawn, you know, and a few dollars mm-hmm. to go to a play or, or to see beautiful artwork or, or to see someone express big ideas in beautiful ways and in, mm-hmm. in a dance or to hear music, it really isn't ever going to be that easy again. So explore. And then I, I think, uh, the other thing that came to mind right away was just to, to, to take yourself seriously, to take your own development seriously, mm-hmm. pay attention to yourself, to go back to the, the experience with lead. That's what I had mm-hmm. loved about mm-hmm. the lead students is that that was so frequently true that mm-hmm. they ha- often understood earlier or something, um, that this was all, um, an opportunity. So yeah. I think that's what I mean by take yourself seriously yeah. is, yeah, explore and pay attention to what it is that's going on inside you because this is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. you could send a message to uh, every person in the United States, what would you want to say? It's maybe related to what what we've talked about with literature. I just heard 
uh, Brene Brown talking about uh, her most recent book. And she said something like, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it, it was a podcast interview. And she said something like, if you find somebody... Um, whose ideas you hate, or if you find someone you strongly dislike, or whose position you dislike, it was more nuanced than that. She said, "Get closer," mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that's what we talk about when we talk about literature. Yeah, instead of you know s- s- uh, profiling, uh, yeah, get get closer, move in, move in, and find out what's really really going on there. And I think the most powerful stories require us to do that. And, and finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? Well, it would include um, a hike and probably some cooking. Mm-hmm. We often make soup mm-hmm. on Saturdays and I like making soup and I like taking walks or hikes and it would mm-hmm. include some time with my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this conversation. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify so that you don't miss an episode. Check out the website at VoicesOfSantaClara.com for some shortened transcripts. And you can like the Facebook page and follow on Twitter. I'll see you next time.